It's time to rethink everything, to redo the rulebook, to explore smarter ways to work and rediscover what's possible. It's time for a fresh take on how technology and creativity are changing the way work gets done. I'm Brian Rowley, and this is The Big Rethink. Today's episode is about achieving success and how it can be met despite the evolving future of the workplace. Our guest, Dr. Ruth Gotian, is a success, productivity, and passion expert and researcher, host of the Optimize Your Success weekly show and podcast, chief learning officer and assistant professor of education in anesthesiology at Weill Cornell Medicine, recent recipient of the Radar Award by Thinkers 50, and most importantly, author of a new book, The Success Factor, and I also like to call her my friend. Welcome to the show, Dr. Godian. Hey, Brian. How are you? I am so excited to be here with you. And yes, we are friends. Yes, I am so excited. We have so much to cover today. Um, but before we get into the book, and I do want to spend some time on the book because you and I have talked a lot about this uh, as you're getting ready to, to release it. But Let's talk for a second about the recent award, the Radar Award. I mean, it's a, I mean, that's a, that's a big one. <laughs> that's a huge one. And I don't know if, if you got, or anyone who's listening got to, got to see the video of the acceptance, but I thought I was having a heart attack in my office when I'm sure. they announced my name. It, my heart was beat, beating so loudly and they were talking to me and I couldn't really hear them. I couldn't really un understand what they were asking me. And I sort of, I don't know, I had gibberish coming out. I was so excited and, and shocked. It's a big one. There's only one in the entire world. So yeah. And for pressure. our listeners, you know, just to give them a little bit of background, right? So Thinkers 50 has been around, I think since 2001, right? So we're just 20, about 20, 20 years, 20, 20 year anniversary. years, right? And so th this award, so, so the whole purpose of the scope of, of Thinkers 50 has sort of been to include sort of a, a range of activities that support sort of their mission of providing innovative access to powerful business and management ideas, right? So ideas that sort of make the world a better place. And, and I love this because they have sort of their... Their mission, right, is on the three core beliefs that, you know, ideas have the power to change the world, management is essential to human affairs, and new thinking can create a better future. I mean, you are the recipient of this award. Like, what, like, what does that feel like? I mean, I'm, <laughs> I mean, it's got to be crazy. It's, it's. So rewarding because when you, when you start out going on a new research path, as I did to study high achiever, it's really isolating. No one is doing it. People are laughing at you along the way. Why are you wasting your time? But then you're really just going at it and going at it and going at it because you believe in your core that you're onto something big. And then to have it recognized, that just tells people that you're legit, that what you're doing sure. is really on the cusp of something amazing. And it's been incredible. And what I loved so much about Thinkers 50 is that everyone who's involved in that community, we're competitors, but we're also a community and we've become really good friends. And 
I think that really makes all of us better and stronger. So we can bounce ideas off of each other. We can share our work with each other. And at the end of the day, you want to befriend your competitors if you want to improve your success. Yeah, that's that. That's so true. So, so true. But before, let I, I do want to talk about the book. But before we jump into the book, let's just give our listeners um, a little bit of a background in regards to you. you I mean, your career... Um, has been extremely impressive. I mean, the list of in the introduction of all the things that you're doing. I mean, it just is 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 just crazy. But I'd love to hear from you, like what the path looked like for you, and sort of what inspired inspired you to sort of pursue the work that you're doing. So I think there were a lot of detours and a lot of exit ramps, and then I quickly found on ramps again, which is why I tell people there's never a straight path. I started college as pre med. That lasted exactly one chemistry class, not the entire course, one 40-minute class. I was good in math, so I thought, yeah, let's do that. Well, no, chemistry didn't quite work out for me, and I switched to business because that came naturally. I really enjoyed it. So I got my bachelor's and master's in business, worked in finance and international banking for a couple of years, and said, I really miss working with students. So I went back to higher ed, specifically academic medicine. And I ran what's called an MD-PhD program for over 20 years. And these are students who get the dual degree, both an MD and a PhD degree simultaneously. Seven to eight year sprint. And I did everything cradle to grave. Recruitment, admissions, student affairs, crisis management, budget operations, marketing, PR, um, alumni relations, grant writing, fundraising, you name it, I did it. And along that way, along that time, nationally, we were having conversations about all those who were leaving that profession, what we call the leaky pipeline. There were studies from the National Institutes of Health about this. There were reports and papers about this. And I was convinced we were looking at the wrong end of the problem. I was convinced that the solution is actually those who are achieving so much that they'll more than make up for anybody who's leaving. So at the age of 43, while working full-time and raising a family, I said, let's add something else to the list. And I went back to school and got my doctorate, studied extreme high achievers, and here we are. <laughs> so let's talk about success for a minute, because you know, there's obviously this shift in how we work today. And, and you know, it has to have an impact on how success is perceived. Um, and achieved, right, in the workplace, both from employee perspective as well as from the company's perspective. So from, from your experience, how has that definition of workplace, we'll, we'll take it to workplace for a second, success sort of evolved? Well, I, I think what's happening is that the high achievers are no longer becoming a silent portion of the workforce. There's actually a lot of research that shows that these high achievers are 400% more productive than the average employee. Now, what happens in most organizations? You get your annual performance appraisal. Let's say it's on a scale of one to five. Five means you are outstanding. Three means you're average, right, which is um, meeting all requirements. Now, what happens if you're three or, or above? Everyone leaves you alone. You do your thing. What happens when you're below average? any organization in the world. You get a corrective action plan. 
They send you to courses and workshops to improve your skills. There's a supervisor that checks in to make sure you're meeting milestones. Look at all the attention the low achievers are getting. What's happening to those who are producing 400% more? Mm. They're seeing, they're seeing what's happening. And what's happening is that if we don't start paying attention to them, they're going to start leaving the organization. And then at best, the organization's going to be left with average employees. At worst, the low achievers. And the organizations want to keep those high performers. Not only are they producing 400% more. Brian, who do you think their friends are? Right. Other high achievers. Sure. So you want to really, as an organization, start giving them the attention. And, and the high achievers know that with the right resources and the right environment and the right culture, they could produce almost anything. It has to be the right environment. So it's changing. This is the time. Well, and it's interesting too, because I think sometimes we also, you know, and, the, and, and you and I have had prior conversations sort of about the whole balance piece of work, right? Work-life balance, balance within your jobs. But I think also sometimes as leaders in businesses, we fall to a point where we also just continually reach to those same higher achievers over and over again without going back and, and working to help those that are also not meeting that bar and bringing them up to, you know, I mean, everybody's not going to get to be that 400%, but you also can't just solely rely on that group of high achievers to be the ones who save the day every single time. So I think there's also a factor there that plays into this. Would you agree? I I, I agree, but I also think we have the what I call the frozen middle. The frozen middle are high potentials. These mm-hmm. are on the scale of one to five, the three and above. These are the average people. They can do the work, right? Imagine mm. if they were inspired. Yeah. Imagine if they were motivated what they could achieve because they're achieving average work with out much stimulation. So we have this frozen middle that we need to thaw out. And if we were going to build the workforce, we need to start looking at them. So we have the high potentials and we have the high achievers. And can you imagine what our workforce would be like? Imagine the creativity that would come out. Imagine the innovation that could come out if we could just light a spark, find their passion, find their creativity and surround them with other people like that those high potentials will also turn into high achievers. Yeah, and I guess the other thing to these high achievers, you know, one of the things that's really kind of interesting is we all hear about the impacts of sort of remote work, right? And remote work tools that are available, the technology, right, that's around that. Um, You know, has that impacted the ways in which people can view and sort of optimize success? I mean, how has technology, if at all, um, sort of uh, have played sort of a role in that optimization of success? Look, I think, Brian, it's really made our world smaller. Instead of having to travel to meet people, we don't need to travel anymore. It's actually saved us a lot of time, but it's also allowed us to meet with people. Mm. Brian, you and I never met in person, but right. we've had how many virtual discussions that never would have happened without the technology. So it definitely made our world smaller and it allowed us to meet so many other people. I think a perfect example during the pandemic, especially at the beginning when we were all in lockdown, right? 
there was webinar after webinar after webinar mm. online. Whatever you wanted to learn, the biggest experts in the world were teaching it. You could sit there for hours and hours and hours, and you could learn from the best in the field. And if you were really smart and innovative, you would start checking out the chat. The chat is your audience. Imagine if it was a live event. The chat is your audience. These are people who are interested in the same field. And if you want to start growing your network, look at who is who is chatting and what they're chatting about and the comments that they're making. And if those comments resonated with you in some way, reach out to those people and say, Brian, I really love the comment that you made about such and such. It resonated with me because of whatever. Then you connect with them on LinkedIn or Twitter or whatever, and now you have another person in your network and you start engaging with each other's content. It's doable. It made our world smaller. Yeah, it's so interesting because it's 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 you know so there's so many different ways to look at any situation, right? And that is an area of opportunity, as you just explained. And a lot yeah. of people probably just look at the comments that are being made in the chat, ignore them, or you know pay attention to them for a second. But if you if you really do look at things um, through that lens of that opportunity side to it, uh, it's really amazing. I, I I'm with you. I I think sort of. There's been, as much as the pandemic has set us back over the course of the past 18 to 24 months, it's also advanced us in so many ways. I think there's so many great things that have that have come as a result of it. There's a lot of heartache and pain that's come with it as well, but yes. there's a lot of really great things that have done that. But let's talk. So you and I first started in having conversations during the pandemic. You would talk to me a little bit about that you were writing this book the book is here, which is so I was exciting. Still writing it then, right? <laughs> yeah, you were still writing exactly right. So the new book, the success factor. Um, share a little bit with our, with our audience. Um, what's the book about? What prompted you to write this? So the book is called The Success Factor. I've been studying extreme high achievers, the Nobel Prize winners, astronauts, Olympic champions for years. I mean, I told you earlier that I, I was so obsessed with success that I actually went back to school to get my doctorate later in life. And it started with physician scientists. And then over the years, it expanded to other extreme high achievers. And what I quickly realized was that a Nobel Prize winning scientist is just like a gold medal Olympic figure skater. And if that's the case, that means that what they have in common are learned skills and learned traits. And if they're learned traits, I am an adult educator, I can teach it to anyone. Mm -hmm. So I've been writing about it in places like Forbes and Psychology Today and giving talks all over the world about it. And now I wrote the book, The Success Factor, about how to achieve extreme success based on the stories and the profiles of some of these high achievers, these astronauts and Olympians, etc. But remember, I said I'm an adult educator. I can't just tell people about these mindsets that these extreme high achievers have without teaching people how to implement it in their own lives. So I actually give people buffet of options for each of the elements of success because, Brian, what works for you may not work for me. And what works for me today may not work the next time there's a transition, a new job, another child, oh, you know, a pandemic. So we need options. We need to be able to pivot. And that's why there are options for each of the elements of success. So no matter where you are in your learning, there's something there for you. 
So take me through the process a little bit. Um, how did you how did you decide who was going to be a part of the like wh- where did you go and, and what was that process like? <laughs> People want to know. So how did you get in touch with all these I astronauts know. and Olympians? <laughs> well, first of all, I became obsessed with success um, and. The Nobel Prize winners wasn't difficult because of where I was working. I was surrounded by many of them and started interviewing them. And when people know, like, and trust you, they are willing to introduce you to others. And I would always ask, do you know of someone else who fits this description who you think I should interview? Now, we can have a whole separate discussion of what is success and how people view success. But there are certain things that they had in common, which was... They were the best in their field. They created a paradigm shift. They, they moved the field forward in some way. But also as they were moving up, they brought people up with them, constantly paying it forward, constantly. So as I said, the Nobel Prize winners wasn't a problem. A conference that I went to, I met one astronaut. I went right up to the stage when he was done speaking. I introduced myself. We talked. We found a common common language um, over something. I don't even remember what it was. And we continued to keep in touch. I interviewed him. He introduced me to a few more who introduced me to a few more who introduced me to a few more. That's how I got all those. Um, Olympians, I only needed to know one, met one who introduced me to others, etc. And then what happened is people heard that I was doing this. People started introducing me to other people who they thought I would find interesting. And I had to do a little due diligence to make sure that they didn't have a sketchy past. Um, Because just because you make a lot of money or just because you're an influencer doesn't mean that you are appropriate for the type of research that I'm doing on extreme high achievers. It's not about number of followers. It's not about the amount of money you make. It's how you're moving your field forward and how you're bringing other people up with you. So certain people who are household names from their reality shows don't appear in my research. But the Olympians, the astronauts, the, you know, someone who argued 45 cases before the Supreme Court, those kind of people are definitely in it. Yeah, it's interesting. Back when you and I first met, we, we had a conversation and we talked a little bit about success. And I think one thing that you had said to me that really stuck with me was that we really have to look at how we define that word because it isn't always, you know, we were looking at it from the aspect of a business, but it isn't always about numbers, um, you know, because I, I think you you kindly pointed out that, you know, those projects or those things that you're working on that don't always make it to a final round could be some of the most successful things that you ever touch and and as businesses, we you know you had mentioned earlier sort of the ratings, you know it's the the three or the five on the rating scale. And but I think the abilities of of being able to step out and try things and be someone who's willing to take that risk is also a major aspect of defining that term. And I think a lot of people need to rethink that a lot more as you challenged me to do. It was it was one of the most valuable things that I think that I've learned from 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 many of our conversations quite honestly. Wow, I love that you just gave me a micro affirmation, which is the opposite <laughs> of microaggression. I didn't even realize that it had that that impact. So thank you for for telling me. You know, it, it's so interesting. My mentor Dr. Bert Shapiro, one of my mentors, he said to me when I was going back to school, 
And um, I was trying to decide on a topic. He didn't tell me what topic to do, right? He's a good mentor. But he said to me, do something important, not just interesting. Hmm. And that sort of sat with me for a while. And one of the people who I who I interviewed um, and whose profile appears in the book is Dr. Tony Fauci. And I asked him, I said, how did you decide what projects to work on? And he said, I do something important, not just interesting. Now I heard the same thing from two separate people because he said, if it's important, it'll have an impact. If it's interesting, it'll just be a hobby. Now, you know, Dr. Fauci, he started um, uh, the PEPFAR, the, the, the president's um, policy and plan um, for HIV. And, you know, he's, he's advised eight presidents. But it's about doing something that's important, not just interesting. It's something you must have, not nice to have. And I think once we start to rethink and understand that, that we need to do things that are important, I think our entire mindset will shift and we'll start being more creative and innovative. Yeah, I, I completely agree. That's such a great, do something in, impacting, not just- Do something important, not important. just interesting. Not just interesting. That's, that's a tweetable- uh, Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly, it definitely is. So in the book, I mean, you mentioned, I mean, you've interviewed um, and a lot of big names, right? And, and I don't want to get you into trouble and, and, and who was a favorite or any of that thing. But what surprised, in particular, like what surprised you the most uh, when, as you were going through this process and doing this? There are a few things, actually. Um, when I spoke to people who won big awards, like the NFL Hall of Famers, like the... Um, the Olympians. I always ask them, I said, can you show me your medals? You know, which is your favorite? And I thought they would have it on display, but only two of them had it on display. All the other Olympians, I said, where are your medals? It's in a box under the bed. It's in a safe. It's in a brown paper bag in the sock drawer. It's in the nightstand. I said, really? You don't, you know, walk around vacuuming wearing your gold medal? And they I would. said to me, <laughs> right? And they said, no, the Olympics were a chapter in my life. It's not the entire story. It was never about the medal. The medal was just a milestone. And I kept hearing that over and over and over again. It was a challenge that they gave themselves, but it was there was always something bigger. There was always a bigger aspiration. And that's why they didn't crumble when they won their medals. That's why they didn't crumble when they retired. It's always about something more. I don't know of a single Nobel Prize winner who quit doing science just because they won the Nobel Prize. Not a single one. Because it was never about the Nobel. That's a nice to have, not a must have. Yeah, it didn't it's define them. It's about something them, bigger. Right? It, it didn't define them that way. It's just a part of how they were defined, right? Versus That it was fascinating actual. to me. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. Really interesting. <laughs> so, so how long did it take? I'm, I'm curious. How long, how long has it been since you've been, since you started this project, and, and how long has it taken you to get to this point? So, the interviews have been going on for years, and I think they're going to go on for the rest of my life because there's always more, more people who I want to study, more people who I want to learn about, more fields I want to tap into. I have 
yet to uh, to interview a Grammy Award winning singer or a prima ballerina, but I have plenty of NBA stars and Olympians and Nobel Prize winners. So there's different fields that I want to get. Um, the writing took about eight, nine months because I was working, so I could only do it on the weekends. But the research has been going on for years, and it's something that I'm, I love because I don't just interview people and tell you their stories. I created a blueprint of what they all have in common because I reversed engineered the path. And then I used my adult learning background to actually, this is my form of teaching of how to actually implement these things in life. So I, I think that the book, The Success Factor, is really a tool that people could use. Anybody who's reimagining, rethinking what's next, wants to get reinvigorated, there's a success factor. It's, it's definitely doable. I don't think, Brian, that people wake up in the morning aiming to be average. I really think people want to do more. They just need that blueprint so that they're not doing these random things. And I created it. Yeah, I think I agree with you. I definitely think that everybody, I mean, it always feels great when you're able to sort of step outside of a comfort area, which I consider to be sort of your average, and to excel in that and go beyond, right? So, but I guess for, you know, for some of the folks that are listening, you know, you know, sometimes people struggle with finding their purpose, right? Either in sort of work or in life. So any guidance or wisdom that you can instill upon people like that, you know, where they can sort of help ways to find that? That's the most important. And that's actually the first element. All of the extreme high achievers found their passion. They found their purpose. And that's what they lived to do. And that's why whenever there's a struggle, whenever there's a challenge, and there's always challenges, they don't get unfocused by that. They don't lose steam because they are laser focused on their goal because it is their passion. So for example, and we'll, we'll get to how people can find their passion. If you had family members who suffered from cancer and you love science and you decided you want to dedicate your life to cancer prevention and treatments. If you don't get a grant or published or the Nobel, are you going to stop looking for treatment? No, you're not because you don't want anyone else to suffer from that. So you have that passion. Now, how can the rest of us figure out what our passion is? Because there's a difference between what you're good at, what you're not good at, what you're good at and you don't enjoy, right? And what you would do for free if you could. So when I talk to people, I actually take them through a passion audit to really decipher and, and figure out what is the difference between what they're good at and they enjoy doing and what they don't enjoy doing and what they would do for free. And Brian, if any of your listeners wanted, first of all, one comes with the book, The Success Factor. But if they want one right now, they can just download it right from my website, from ruthgotian.com slash passion audit. And there's one right there for them to really tap into what it is that they love doing. They won't procrastinate doing this because they love it. And there's actually research that shows we only need to spend 20% of our time doing what we love in order for the rest of our work not to deplete us so much. That's it, 20%. Yeah, because I, I think many of us fall victim to the, the the concept of what we're good at isn't always where our passion lies. 
And, and, and I think that's a really, I mean, 20%, I mean, that's, that's not a very big number when you think about it. Um, and, and that's, that's really, really interesting. You mentioned um, sort of the, the leaders and mentors, and you mentioned that you had a mentor. I'm curious, um, how can people who are either leaders or mentors today who, who have really already found their purpose help others who are, who are sort of looking for their own? What, what advice can you give that? Because I know you do a lot in the concept of mentoring and, and know how important that is. What can people do to help? So first of all, the, the more contemporary approach is not just to have one mentor, but to have a team of mentors. Because I'm not perfect, you're not perfect, none of us are perfect, which means our mentor can't be perfect. But what we can do is surround ourselves and make our own type of perfect. When I wrote the book proposal for The Success Factor, I went to one of my mentors who wrote multiple books and asked her to look at it, to review it. I didn't ask the lawyer who's never written a book in his life, right? I, When I need to talk about negotiation, I'll certainly talk to him, but he's not going to look at that. So it's made up of different people. Now, you need people at different levels. You certainly want the senior people because they have the skills, they have the network, they have the experience. But you also want people who are at your level because peers rise together. I don't care if this is your first day on the job. Peers rise together. In the, in the success factor, I talk about Lynn Wooten, Dr. Lynn Wooten, the president of Simmons University, and Dr. Erica James, the dean of Wharton, top business school in the world. They're best friends and their peer mentors. And they met as grad students in their 20s. And now one's a president, the other's a dean, because peers rise together. You also want to look at people who are junior to you. Because they would understand things. They have, um, they were born with these different ideas almost, right? The technology generation and the things that we might be a little skittish about, to them it just comes so naturally. And they could actually introduce you to that. I share with people, I first started using Twitter because somebody who's a generation younger than me really introduced me to the whole concept. I was recruiting at a conference. And for anyone who's ever been to these conferences, we're standing at the booth speaking for hours and hours and hours, hoping we don't sound like a robot, when everyone else was looking down at their phone. And I realized the conversations I was having one-to-one with maybe 100 people, I could have one to thousands and have much greater impact. Remember, do something important, not just interesting. And that was introduced, I was introduced to that by someone who's a generation younger. So you really want to get a robust mentoring team. They don't all need to know each other. They never need to meet. This is not a dissertation committee. And you want people from different industries so that you can learn a lot. So you don't only want people from your industry because then you're always going to think one way. You want people from as many different industries as possible. And who knows what ideas you can come up with. Well, and it goes back to a concept. I mean, you really can learn something from everybody. You just have to be willing to have conversations and and be open to listening because there's a tremendous amount of knowledge that's out there. So um, the success factor, it has launched. Um, Where can our listeners actually get the actual book? 
So the book, The Success Factor, wherever they love buying books is where it can be found. If you go to my website, ruthgotian.com slash book, it'll show you places all over the world where you can buy the books in stores, online, all over the world, ruthgotian.com slash book. Well, Dr. Gotian, it is always a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much for being a part of this show. I wish you nothing but success with the book. And quite honestly, I can't wait to see what's next. Thanks, Brian. Me too. So before we sign off, if you enjoyed this podcast, you can help us grow by visiting our feed on iTunes to rate, review, and subscribe. If you're listening on Spotify, be sure to hit follow. That's it for us. I'm Brian Raleigh, and that's another episode of The Big Rethink.